Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tremendously disappointing. Nothing personal word of the day. It's Monday, September 12th, and we just got through NFL weekend number one. And the lead story was the last game, the most exciting game of the weekend. We got Tom Brady. He of the, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to keep winning, keep playing. Family be damned. Going against the Cowboys and Jerry Jones, the owner and the general manager of the team. Very excited for the prospects of possibly having a good team in the National League East. <laughs> the NFC East, of course. The game ends. The Bucks, of course, crush the Cowboys. And Jerry Jones meets the media and says, we are tremendously disappointed. It's tremendously disappointing that we lost this game. By the way, Jerry, what's your view of Dak Prescott? How long is he out? About six to eight weeks, he fractured his thumb. That was disappointing, too. Last season, we talked, maybe the last several seasons of nothing personal when football season would start. And week one always takes on a bigger importance, even whether it's you're playing 81 games in the NBA, whether you're playing 162 in baseball, but especially in football with 17. Keep in mind the general math is that every football game is almost 10 baseball games. So it'd be like starting the season 0-9 when you lose your first game or 0-10 makes you totally despondent. It's really, really important to win your first game. And the Cowboys come out, and Jerry Jones runs his team in a way that I've always been very complimentary because he is the meddling owner who talks to himself and hires himself to be the head of player personnel. So for those who don't recall, Jerry Jones is the general manager of the Cowboys and the owner of the Cowboys. And after a game like last night, there are meetings that take place between the general manager and the owner. I always find it funny to think about Jerry Jones meeting with himself in some sort of inception-like world where he's looking in the mirror and he's looking back at himself and he's having conversations. God, your players stink. Well, I can only play with what you give me. Imagine that, right? The same guy talking to himself about being upset about the players that he got as an owner, although the GM is the one who gets the players. I guess he could always fire the GM. 
That's what I've wanted him to do for so long. I want to be in the room when Jerry Jones fires his GM for lack of performance. And God knows they've had lack of performance in a way that is uh, pretty staggering. So their game last night, just to put it in perspective, when Jerry Jones first took over, he had a quarterback named Troy Aikman. You may know the name. He had a coach named Jimmy Johnson for all you Survivor fans or Miami fans. And they lost like 28 to nothing to the New Orleans Saints. This is back in 89. This is the worst home loss they've had, worst season opening loss since then in terms of lack of offense, losing. But then what do you do? What is your message to your fan base? Anytime you lose an early game, you always say the same thing, right? You say, hey, it's early. We're not going to panic. Jerry Jones told us yesterday, don't worry, we got a long way to go till January. Now, I couldn't tell whether that was the owner, Jerry Jones, or the GM, General Jones, GM, Coca. God damn it. Four, six, nine. I couldn't tell whether that was the owner, Jerry Jones, or the GM, Jerry Jones, because each one has an incentive to say that after an opening day loss. As a GM, you want to keep your players, your coaches, and your fans' understanding perspective. As an owner, you don't want to show panic. So the result is that you've got similar statements, which is, hey, it's a long way to go. We're just starting. But inside a front office, you never say that. So when we lose early games in a season, we'll publicly say, hey, it's early. But what we're doing is we're meeting with ourselves, not the way Jerry meets with himself, but the front office meets together would be a better way to say it. Are we seeing disturbing trends? Are there things that are not happening the way we had thought they would happen during the offseason, during the preseason, as we put the team together? Is there anything that we're seeing that there's a problem in the clubhouse with the coach, with the manager, with communication with the players? Is something happening here? Publicly, hey, we're good. Privately, my God, do we stink. They've got like four more primetime games, right? I mean, they're the Cowboys. They're what every broadcast partner wants. NFL really would like them to be good. And they've got, we're going to be watching them all season long. And it's bad. What are they playing like? Uh, Cooper, Cooper Rush? Is that the name of the guy who's going to be their quarterback for the next six weeks? I think it is. Now, they could have had Lamar Jackson as their quarterback. I guess if he had demanded a trade, maybe Jerry Jones would have found a way to do something with Dak and switch him out for Lamar because that's pretty cool. I mean, Jerry Jones could go after Jimmy G at this point, but after the performance by Larry Nance, I don't think that's going to happen. It's definitely not Larry Nance. That's the pro basketball player. Troy Vance. Trey Lance. <laughs> it's Monday for crying out loud. If you get to your office on a Monday morning and you're firing on all cylinders, like first five minutes in, just keep that to yourself, would you? So, yeah, it's possible. I guess you could go after Colin Kaepernick too, Coca. Yeah, we didn't talk about that pre-show. He's available. He could do that for the next six to eight weeks. N-G-T-H, never going to happen, ever. I was very interested in the Lamar Jackson news. I was waited with bated breath 
to see whether he would sign an extension before his self-imposed non-agent assisted deadline of Friday prior to the first Sunday game. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. All of a sudden, we get a statement. Despite best efforts on both sides, this is from the Ravens, we were unable to reach a contract extension with Lamar Jackson. We greatly appreciate how he has handled this process. Of course, they greatly appreciate it because they didn't have to deal with an agent. And we are excited about our team with Lamar leading the way. We will continue to work towards, it's toward, a long-term contract after the season. But for now, we're looking forward to a successful 2022 campaign. That is what you do. We saw the Yankees do the same thing. When Judge didn't sign before the start of the season, you come out before the season and say, all right, we're done negotiating. We're going to play out the year, but we want him back. We're going to negotiate to keep him back. We're going to make it hard for him to leave, blah, blah, blah. But football is a little different, may I remind you. Lamar Jackson is not a free agent after this year. People seem to forget that there's something called a franchise tag in the NFL. What that means is like arbitration in baseball. That's what a franchise tag is. You tap a guy's shoulder like you're trying to invite him into your fraternity and you say, hey, you're tagged. We're going to pay you the average of the top five quarterbacks in football. We're not going to go to a hearing. We're not going to go before arbitrators. We're not going to do any of that stuff. We're going to do a collectively bargained negotiation where we calculate exactly what franchise tag players make based on the top earned dollars at that position, yada, yada, yada. Lamar Jackson, when tagged next year, could make $45, $47 million. This year, he's making 23. So Lamar Jackson has a one-year $23 million contract, but he's got two years of team control left because the Ravens could franchise tag him twice more. And if they do franchise, franchise tag him twice more, let's say he makes... 45 million next year and then 55 million the year after just making up numbers to add up to 100. that means that the ravens will pay him 100 over two years forget this year word came out that he turned down 133 million dollars guaranteed so he's gonna get the 100 if he's tagged twice by agreeing to the deal that the ravens offered he would only be guaranteeing himself an extra $33 million. If he is not franchise tagged, you will argue with me, then he won't get that $100 million. And I'll say you're right, then he'll be a free agent at 25 where nobody can, the Ravens can't get anything in return. So when you do not get Lamar Jackson signed, what you have done is you've agreed that you are going to tag him for the next two years, or you will try again to get him signed. And if you can't get him signed again, you'll tag him again. Now, why are these deals not getting done? We saw Jamal Murray get done. We saw Russell Wilson get done. Russell Wilson, who by the way is Magic Johnson, uniform number age. You saw Kyler Murray who doesn't have nearly the resume as Lamar Jackson. I said Jamal Murray, sorry, Kyler Murray. So I thought that this deal would get done because it didn't make sense to me that Lamar Jackson would take the chance. And what's the chance? The chance is that you make $23 million this year, you get hurt this year, and then you do not get franchise tagged and you do not get a huge guarantee 
I'm not saying that he does something bad off the field. I'm talking about getting hurt on the field. We already know doing something bad off the field doesn't stop you from making money. That's DW with the Cleveland Browns. People are saying how Lamar Jackson bet on himself. I don't see it that way. I see the Ravens not giving him a competitive deal. And the Ravens claiming, and they leak this, make no mistake, when you see a leak, this leak comes from the Ravens. When they leak that he would have had a contract worth more than Deshaun Watson, who signed the $230 million guaranteed five-year deal, what the Ravens are saying is, yeah, we're going to offer him $250, let's say. That's more than Watson. Why wouldn't you take that? But there's so many things contained within deals like that that the only thing you need to ever look at when examining an NFL contract, what's guaranteed? There's no way Lamar Jackson was ever signing for a guaranteed number, anything other than smaller than Watson. He wanted to be number two. It was made very clear to him by almost everybody that the Deshaun Watson $230 million guarantee is a ceiling it is an outlier. It is a mistake. By the way, it helps all the franchise tag quarterback numbers. But all of that said, because Deshaun Watson's contract counts as quarterback salaries when you're calculating top five salaries. However, no owner in football is giving any player a guarantee at Watson's number. It's not going to happen, especially this year. Four years from now, three years from now, when there's inflation, when the numbers are going higher, maybe. But there was a clear and concerted collusive effort by the National Football League and its owners to make sure that everybody knew that what Jimmy Haslam did is not going to happen again. So Lamar Jackson doesn't need an agent tell him that. He's very aware he's not going to get the 230. But clearly in his mind, 180, 185, 190. He needed to be in that range for a deal to get done. And I assumed the Ravens were going to get in that range, and they never did. How do you decide when you take a deal and when you don't take a deal, especially in football? It's fascinating because in baseball, the decision is made based on number of years and number of dollars. Some players want to take a short-term deal and they want to get paid as much money as possible during the course of those short years and then do another two, three-year deal, et cetera. Look at the Trevor Bauer deal, the Max Scherzer deal with the Mets. You're trying to, well, Trevor Bauer is a bad example because he's not being paid anything right now. But just when he signed that deal with the Dodgers, you may recall a ton of money a short period of time. From a team's perspective, when you are signing free agents, you'd always rather go higher annual money and fewer years. The problem is only a few teams can afford to do that. A team like the Marlins, as an example, just because that's the example I can tell you about firsthand, it's very difficult to have one player making $50 million for one year because you can't surround him with enough to win. And if you can't surround him with enough to win, then what's the bother? You have him for one year, you're not going to win. You're just delaying the inevitable and wasting $50 million on a great player on a team that's not going to win. So what those teams do, and you see it often, is they sign players to longer deals than you'd imagine, but it's not as much money per year. 
in football, because of the nature of the deals not being totally guaranteed, you see all sorts of different screwy deals. Go back to our show on Patrick Mahomes. I can't remember what day it was, but it was right around when Patrick Mahomes signed his deal. And it was reported as the $450 million deal, like a 13-year deal. This is the most unbelievable contract. And then we got into detail and realized that the number that was being told to us as people in the media, as fans, was absolute horse hockey. There was no chance in the world that Mahomes would make that money. But teams do that because they want to be able to say to the player, look, we're offering you the most ever. We'll get you above Deshaun Watson, they said to Lamar Jackson. And he said, well, wait a minute. I've got to do all these different things, all these incentives, all these bonuses that I'm not going to be able to get that are unlikely, like Mahomes having to win the MVP every year and the Chiefs having to get to the Super Bowl every year. All right, how's that going so far to hit his maximum? So you sign a deal like that, and then every year you watch the top side continue to decrease because you've missed a year of the escalators. I find it to be interesting to me right now, right? We, we sit around in, in baseball and we talk about long-term deals. We get example after example shown to us of why you don't sign players to big long-term deals, how it's not going to pay off. The union does the opposite. They tell their players about all the long-term deals that do pay off. They look at the Verlander deal, the Scherzer deal, et cetera. In football, do you think they sit around and Lamar Jackson's agent, which is himself in the mirror, that'd be great if Lamar Jackson, side note, Lamar Jackson negotiating with Jerry Jones. He, it could be the agent negotiating with the general manager, which is totally appropriate. That's how the negotiation should go. And it would actually be the player with the owner, which is the most inappropriate way to negotiate a contract possible. That's Lamar Jackson negotiating with Jerry Jones. Those two people would walk out of that room as, <laughs> as owner and player, and you'd have seven different stories about what went on during the meeting. Because when owners and players talk, you cannot trust either side to do anything other than hear exactly what they want to hear, and it's always different. And then we have to go in like as the GM and the president and try to translate like we're part of the UN translation team, like we're decoding or something. It's pretty good. Okay. What would you do if you had, if you were the Ravens? Are you signing him to a Mahomes-like deal? Are you offering that to him? I don't know. I think they spend time looking at these long deals. I think football owners spend time looking at baseball deals, right? They look at the Mike Trout deal, 10 years, $420 million, guaranteed and they wonder themselves like, the team's not winning. Is this, is, this, is this smart? Is this worth it? Do you know that secretly there are people in the commissioner's office of each league who hope that these long-term deals go bad because they think that that will help owners understand that the escalation salaries, that the giving out of these long-term contracts is so risky and doesn't pay off that the behavior will change. Every year, every year. We get the memo, hey, look at all these deals that stink. And every year, more deals are added to it. Why? Because every GM, every owner, every team president, we all think we're better than everybody else. We think the mistakes that every other team makes, we're not going to make them. 
We're going to choose the right guy to sign to extend. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we got to talk about what happened in baseball this weekend because it was interesting. We touched on it last week. But when we come back, we're going to review Operation Mincemeat. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for making it through the gauntlet. Hope you all had a good weekend. Welcome to Monday. Hard to imagine we're midway through September. Before you know it, it's fall. Right around the corner. So I watched a bunch of things this weekend. One of them was called Operation Mincemeat. If there's a movie with Colin Firth, I'm watching it. He's that kind of actor for me. Forget like Bridget Jones' Diary and forget Love Actually. He's just, the King's speech was on my mind because the King's daughter died this weekend, Queen Elizabeth II. We now have a new King, King Charles III. Did you see the viral video of King Charles when he was giving his first speech? Maybe he had it at the desk. It could have been a parliament, wherever it was. And he had all sorts of stuff on his desk. Go check out this video. It's hilarious. And if once we're back in a studio, we'll be able to play all sorts of videos like this. We're still in the COVID sort of in-house studio, but I don't know why, but for now, for now. So he wipes off the table like he's motioning to all of his helpers, like get rid of that, get rid of that, get rid of that. That's becoming, that's going to be like some sort of mem or meme, I'm telling you. So King Charles III is taking over. It's about a two to two and a half week funeral the NFL is very happy there's no London games this weekend because they would have been postponed people were up in arms that they didn't get their Premier League games this weekend I don't think that people fully understand that there were never going to be games when Queen Elizabeth died 70 years folks you're going to shut it down for a weekend and it's going to be just fine you're all going to be fine it's hard to reschedule I grant you but you're all going to be fine I wonder if the NFL recognized wonder if they were hoping like god she better not die right before the Packers play that'd be horrific so Operation Mincemeat also stars the guy from Succession uh come on Coke is it Matthew McFadden that could be his name I don't know but this is uh, he's the uh He's the one who hangs out. Anyway, just watch Succession. You'll know his character. So I had not seen him in a movie before, and I did not know this story. Operation Mincemeat is actually a movie about deception. It's a, it's a movie that takes place during World War II where they're trying to convince the Germans that there's going to be an invasion on Greece instead of Italy. And so Hitler would send his troops to Greece, and Italy would be there for the taking which was an important sort of battleground in order to stop the Germans in World War II. And what they did is an entire plan of, they called it deception. It is multi-layered in how you convince someone like Hitler and his people 
that you're doing something that you're not doing and you pretty much have to lie to everyone. And in the UK, they had a group of people led by Colin Firth who were in charge of this operation called Operation Mincemeat that Winston Churchill let them do, that plenty of people, including the prime minister, figured there was no chance in hell this could ever work. They can't be that stupid, can they? But it was a double reverse, backwards, interesting plan. And the movie is... It's pretty tense because while you know what's at stake and you know how it ends, you still are learning about things that are done at a level that we will never know. Of course, it then gets you thinking about our government. Like, is something happening that we don't know? Yeah, in every government. Operation Mincemeat. Check it out. Colin Firth. Okay. We did a a show with the MLB rule changes last week. I think they came out whenever they did. Friday at noon, they were confirmed. But Friday, we thought that they were going to happen, so we did a show on them. I wasn't fully aware when I did the show, as I recall, where the players were on this, except I was interested in what the vote was. And the vote for this these rule changes in MLB came from a competition committee. Coca, on the show Friday, did we break down the competition committee? Did we do all that? I forgot to ask you that before, but I thought it came out at noon, so I wouldn't have thought that we did. But maybe it was Thursday. That's possible. So we had told you about 641, right? We told you there's six players, uh, six owners, four players, and one umpire. We told you that it's fixed, that anything the owners want to do, they're going to get to do in Major League Baseball while pretending that they're taking care of players. The players released a statement after the rule changes were announced that should make all of us as fans and executives concerned on one hand, but knowing that we've got still four seasons to go in this current collective bargaining agreement. So we don't have to think about it quite yet. But remember the consternation that existed between players and owners. You remember the lockout? Remember they brought in Bruce Meyer to negotiate on behalf of the players? And it was very tense and Rob had to cancel games, the commissioner. We're remembering that, right? Because I remind you, but otherwise you would have forgotten. Did you also remember there was going to be an international draft if they could agree, and they gave themselves another three months to agree. Do you remember what happened? They didn't agree. Do you remember that when they don't agree on whether there's an international draft, the trade-off is that there's still players who are subject to something called the qualifying offer. That's when you've got a free agent on your team, you make him a one-year deal, that player can turn down the one-year deal and sign somewhere else as an unrestricted free agent, but then the team that offered him the one-year deal gets a draft pick from the team who signs the player eventually. The union really wanted to get rid of that. The play, the owners really wanted an international draft. They could not agree. It's back to the Cold War between players and owners. So the players who, for whatever reason, thought that they were going to get any sort of say on this committee, which is just funny that they thought that, They did a statement after saying players love the game. They live the game day in and day out, meaning they're the ones playing. On-field rules and regulations impact their preparation, performance, and ultimately, this is a great word and statement when you are players, 
the integrity of the game itself. When you're writing a statement, and I'm very complimentary of this player's union statement, because you got to get to the word integrity. That's like a buzzword. That gets all the owner's antennas up. Are the players saying that in these new rules, they could act in a certain way that could impact the integrity of the game? Hmm. Let's continue the statement. Player leaders from across the league were engaged in on-field rules negotiations through the competition committee. They provided specific and actionable feedback on the changes proposed by the commissioner. Major League Baseball was unwilling to meaningfully address the areas of concern that players raised. And as a result, they voted no. It sounds like a negotiation without leverage, doesn't it? It sounds like when you're talking to your child or your coworker or someone who works for you and you say, hey, I want you to do it this way. And they say, well, I have another suggestion. What about this way? And you say, hey, that sounds great. No, thanks. Do it my way. Anyone familiar with that as a concept? Anyone? The problem that Major League Baseball has here, and this is when the PR is going to start on behalf of the owners is that the divide between players and owners, which they had put magnetic tape on, like after you cut your head and they put a little tape on it before you get stitches, when you take the tape off and you haven't gone to a plastic surgeon, you got yourself a pretty ugly scar. The players and the owners thought they didn't need a plastic surgeon after that negotiation. They thought they could have a few meetings, sing a few bars of Kumbaya, and everything was going to be fine. In the first example of when they're supposed to work together, in the first example of when there's supposed to be shared vision of progress in the game. They couldn't get their act together. So where do you go from here? Major League Baseball has to find a way, not yet, not this year, not next year. This is why it's bad for baseball. Major League Baseball doesn't care about the players right now, and they're not going to care about them until there's about a year left in the current collective bargaining agreement. Then they're going to go because there'll be a new set of players, mostly, because there's such turnover in the union. And then they'll start to have a better relationship as they try to head into the next CBA. In the meantime, the owners are trying to gain every ounce of leverage, use every right that they have under their collective bargaining agreement that they negotiated, and they are trying to exploit it. That's okay. Players do the same thing. Everybody, when they have an agreement, they look at their agreement and say, what can I do to make the most money, to do the most within the four corners of the agreement? Normal, fine, I'm okay. But then Major League Baseball gets faced with a pretty major issue as the minor leaguers are trying to form a union. Last week, I told you that two ways for the minor leaguers to form a union. First, they need 30% of these voting cards to organize a union submitted. Then they can go to the NLRB who can do a formal vote of all potential union members and you need 50% approval rate. Or you can go to the league management and if management says, hey, we're in, then you don't need to go get the vote. MLB was asked to approve the union, and I said it was not going to happen. I admit it. I just said it's not going to happen. Guess what? I was wrong. I'm always happy to admit when I'm wrong, when I make mistakes, when I get weight to seize wrong. MLB, in a very surprising move, 
said to the players, don't worry, you do not have to take a vote. We believe you that you've got more than 50% of your players in the minor leagues ready to go. Let's set up a few rules like, hey, the Dominican players don't count. I don't know if you saw that, but that's true. Dominican players are not in the union members on a Dominican team. Now, Dominican players who come to the U.S. and play on minor league teams here, they would be in the union. But Dominican players playing Dominican, no union. Why would Major League Baseball single out Dominican players in the Dominican to make sure they're not in the union? Hold on, let me think about it. Oh, that's right. They are never going to pay them living wage, union wage under U.S. standards in the Dominican. And they're never going to have that many players in America who stink and have no choice but are at the academy at 16 because maybe one day they have a chance to be good. So, of course, MLB was saying, hey, we're really happy you guys want to make a union, but make sure those guys are not a part of it. Where do you stand on that? You tell me tell you where I stand on that. That's good business. I'll tell you what's not good business. Having an extra 50 members of your union who do nothing for your bottom line. Have zero economic input. Zero. No one's talking about this, but I'm going to talk about it till I'm blue in the face. I want the blazer to match the drapes. And the way you do that is when Major League Baseball over the course of time lowers the number of affiliated teams. You're going to see it. I've told you that, and I'm sticking to it. It is a very big deal that minor league players are now going to be part of the MLBPA. They are not going to get the same collective bargaining agreement rights that the major league players have. But they now have federal protections that they did not have by being a part of a union. It's not going to be great. Why? And this is not because I'm anti-union or pro-union, folks. And I know that many of you have come to me with that, wanting to know and give my opinion. I got a bunch of questions this weekend. So are you saying you're always anti-union? I'm saying no, there are circumstances where protecting workers' rights makes sense as long as you understand the consequences of your actions. The ultimate hammer in any relationship is management. I'm not saying it because I'm management. It's nothing to do with it. There's plenty of times in my life I haven't been management. The fact of the matter is I'm trying to tell you who's got the advantage and just because the minor league players chose to unionize, by no means does that mean, God, that's an awkward sentence structure, 469.84. Just because the minor league players have formed a union does not in any way mean that they're going to have the rights, the obligations, and the benefits that you are picturing they're going to have. It just doesn't mean that. Nothing personal pick of the day. Hey, did you do the weekend? We are now 102 and 79. We are 23 games over. I told you to watch the Rays beat the Yankees Friday. They got the one win. The Yankees have come back strong the last two days, but we did get that win. And then Saturday, we told you Otani was going to beat the Angels. I'm not doing my final MVP pitch to you today. I'm not because I haven't decided. 
Aaron Judge continues to hit home runs. Albert Pujols continues to hit home runs. Maybe Albert Pujols is going to finish in the top five at MVP now. Who knows? So Judge is trying to get to 62. Pujols is trying to get to 700. They both may get there. They both not. Don't know. I went and looked at Shohei Otani after the game that he pitched on Saturday. And he's in the top five in ERA. He's in the top five in home runs. And he's the top five in RBI. I just want to make sure you're focused on that fact. He's not just one of the best hitters in the game. He's also one of the best pitchers. I didn't think it was possible to do what he did last year again. I thought one and done. Mia culpa. He is three weeks away from having the greatest hyperbole. I don't think so. From having the greatest back-to-back seasons in the history of baseball. Any player. You've got to give him credit for playing both ways. It's as though Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, not yesterday's Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Donald. It's the equivalent of Aaron Donald being the best left tackle in the game, or even better, how about him being the best quarterback in the game? Is it possible that your quarterback can also be your best defensive lineman? It's who could think that way? Sometimes the scoring champ in the NBA is also the defensive player of the year, right? Michael Jordan was really good on defense and he'd win the scoring title. Does that make it the greatest season ever? I don't know, but he sure as heck would win the MVP. So we won that game. And then last night was just a disaster. I did not think the Cowboys would lay such an egg against the Bucks. I didn't. And Tom Brady's been so distracted Can we stop talking about his family life for one second? We're so interested. Where was he? Did he, was he on the Masked Singer? He basically came out and said that he was away with his family on a prearranged trip in the Bahamas, not getting his picture taken, no paparazzi, where it was private. And now maybe they're getting divorced. Maybe they're not getting divorced. Who cares? Leave him alone. Let's judge him on the field. Is he at 45 going to lead the Buccaneers to another 11 wins, 12 wins, a deep run in the playoffs? I figured the distractions. I figured the age. Eventually, age has got to catch up to the guy, doesn't it? I figured the fact that he's got one foot out the door into his Fox broadcast deal, which is the most insane post-career broadcast deal for a guy who's never done one thing with a microphone ever, insane. And then on top of that, you've got the family issues and you've got the Cowboys at home who are under pressure and should be good. And the result was 19 to three. So we only went two and one. All right. We got the first Monday night football game of the year. And it's an interesting one. I love the NFL schedulers, right? When you're scheduling 17 games, it's difficult, right? Baseball schedule is difficult. I've been a part of watching how that happens. There's a lot of dates you have to figure out when stadiums can be used, when they can't be used, sort of fairness of schedule, strength of schedule, going through all sorts of stuff. And then players move from team to team, and you really want interesting games. My view is... I want the interesting games week two, right? I don't want to blow my interesting game wad week one when everyone's interested in opening day anyway, right? I always wanted to play a terrible opponent on opening day because you're going to sell the most tickets possible to opening day, aren't you? How about a midweek series in August? Bring me the Yankees then. Don't make me open against the Yankees. Okay, so the Seattle Seahawks are playing the Denver Broncos tonight. The quarterback, the most famous, the 
highly regarded Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, now owns the biggest house in Denver, just got that huge guaranteed deal to stay in Denver. It is Rob Walton's first game as owner it is the, of the Broncos. It is Pete Carroll's first game in the post-Russell Wilson era where he said, hey, don't you underestimate us. And the Seahawks are getting six and a half points from the Broncos. We're taking it. Russell Wilson, it's my distracted theory. It's my fat and happy theory. It's my, I just signed a huge deal. I know I'm older and not that good anymore, but I really got him theory. It's the, I want to prove I'm not Bill Belichick and I can't win without Brady theory. It's the, I'm Pete Carroll and I'm going to win without Russell Wilson theory. Seahawks plus six and a half. Double pick tonight. I got to give you a baseball pick for those interested. Let's just talk a little baseball for a minute. The Mets fell out of first place this weekend, and then boom, won two in a row. Braves lost two in a row, and the Mets are back in first place by a game and a half. They responded very well to falling out of first place when they could have gone into full panic mode, full Met panic mode, which their fans obviously did. I think I got 12 texts from Coca this weekend. The Mets are done. I think he said, uh, what do you say? The Mets are toast? Is that your expression? The Mets are toast. The Braves have an important West Coast. They lost a game they should not have lost yesterday. They continue a West Coast trip. When you go from Seattle to San Francisco, which is what the Braves have done, it's actually a very simple trip. When you get down there, the hotels in Frisco are great. You're much more comfortable. You're happy. Braves over the Giants. Those are my two picks for tonight. How great would it be to have a job where when you get fired, your severance is gargantuan, like in the tens of millions of dollars? You're fired by your job because you stink at it, but then you get paid a huge amount of money. Sort of like a double-edged sword for a company. We don't want this person doing this job anymore, but holy crikeys, we're about to pay him so much not to do the job. Then we got to hire someone else to do the job. So the total cost of the job is going up and we're rewarding incompetence. We're rewarding failure and losing. College football had a very bizarre weekend. All of these small schools from Marshall, Coca, I forgot to ask you, sorry, before we started the show, is the Marshall team that won this weekend uh, is that the We Are Marshall movie? Is that the same school? It is? Okay. Thank you. So, oh, it is in West Virginia? I didn't know that. Did you did you hang out with Marshall people when you were West Virginia? Like, were they, was it part of your social scene? Too far away? Okay. I figured you couldn't pass up an opportunity to, like, go to a Marshall game. So, I could do an entire segment of how crazy it is that all these teams get paid to go play and then they go win, which really pisses off the team who's playing them. It's sort of like how angry the Yankees get when they pay revenue sharing to the Rays and the Rays finish in first place and go to the World Series. It makes the Steinbrenner family have smoke coming out of their ears. Nebraska lost this week to a game that clearly uh, – they, they weren't supposed to lose, right? They paid this team like $1.4 million to come, thinking that that would, you know, be an easy win. And uh, they didn't win the game. And then they fired their coach. 
And the reason why this interests me is that the coach they fired is going to get a severance package or a buyout of $15 million. All right, that seems reasonable. You knock on the door and you talk to your boosters and you talk to your athletic director, you talk to your president of this university and you say, hey, you know, this guy's terrible. We got to move on. It was a good story, homecoming, blah, 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 but we're just not winning. We got to fire him. All right, fine. Raise the money to fire him. What do we have to pay him? Oh, no problem. We have to pay him $15 million. All right, let's get a guy to get $15 million. They go get a booster. The booster says, fine, $15 million. Pay him, fire him. I agree. Stinks. We got to do better. And then the booster reads that the contract language for this Nebraska guy, this coach, I think his name is Scott Forrest or something. If he had been fired on October 1st, his buyout would have been $7.5 million. Do you think that Nebraska did not tell the booster this fact? Because the president of Nebraska had to have known. Because if the president of Nebraska does not know about the terms of this bio contract and the AD, athletic director, did not tell the president and he read it in the paper, A, the president should be fired for not knowing that's the highest paid employee in his entire university. Let's start with that. Number two, if he approved the firing of a coach two weeks early in return for losing about seven and a half million dollars, I am firing the team president, the team president, the president of the university right now if I'm the board of directors of that university. Seven and a half million dollars wasted. Why? Because they said, quote, we owed it to the players to give them a different voice, perhaps a slightly different vision. Horse hockey. Give him that different voice in two weeks. The number of students who would benefit from an extra $7.5 million. The number of student athletes. The number of endowed chairs, professors. Different parts of the university. $7.5 million wasted because you wouldn't wait two weeks to do a different voice. I lost my mind when I read this and I thought two things. One, I have it wrong. It can't be. It can't be that there's a university who would pay a guy an extra seven and a half million dollars two weeks early. Just wait the two weeks, can't be. Then I went to the next stage, which is, well, the only way that could be is if there's a booster who paid for the whole thing. And I was satisfied. And then I got to the next thing. That same booster and that booster's family is reading the same article I am. And then the, the wife, the husband, the partner, the kids, maybe the business, somebody's saying, you jackass, why didn't you give them the money in two weeks? It makes zero sense to me why anyone would waste that amount of dollars. And for Nebraska to stand up and say, hey, it's about a different voice? No, it should be about business. This is nothing personal. 